<laughs> uh, we've been talking in this series uh, about no offense. It's the word you say right before you offend somebody. No offense, but, and then you offend them. Um, uh, but we've talked uh, for the last four or five weeks here that the body of Christ, that the, the children of God should be the least offended and the hardest, or yeah, the least offensive, I'm sorry, and the hardest to offend in the world. And we've talked about that doesn't mean that we compromise our truth, and certainly uh, our truth is going to, you know, uh, come against the, the truths of the world, the ideas of the world. They're going to see us as their enemy. Um, we're going to disagree. Everybody agree on that uh, with the people that are around us? But even as we disagree, we should come in love and seek where we can to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile. Uh, we love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. It's just who we are, and, and so we've been talking about that for the last month or so. Uh, spoiler alert, real quick. We're not going to bat a thousand when it comes to being offenders or feeling offense. It's, it's just going to happen. In a, in a broken world, offense occurs. Miscommunications, um, uh, bad days. Anybody had a bad day recently? You just woke up on the wrong side of the bed, which is a funny saying. Someone should Google that and figure out why we say that. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed? What's that mean? Anyway, uh, but, uh, you know, you just have bad days. Sometimes you're just, you're just bad. You're just angry, uh, bitter, and so sin happens and offense occurs. We're on both sides of that fence. We're the offenders. We're the offended. It's just going to happen. And so when that does happen, it's, it's important that we understand God's methods for dealing with those offenses, uh, which is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, God has called us to do two things, forbear and forgive. Forbear and forgive. Raise your hand uh, if you can remember the last time you needed to be forgiven of something. Can anybody remember the last time you needed to be forgiven? Can anybody uh, remember the last time uh, that you forgave someone? Hopefully that's recently. Was it this morning? Raise your hand this morning. Okay. Yeah, something, okay. Driving here. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story. So last week I'm preaching on bitterness. I, used, I had the bitter box out. Anyway, if you're here for that one, you, you heard me talk about that one. And... <laughs> It didn't take God any amount of time at, other, at all for me to experience uh, the things that I was having to apply from the sermon that we shared last week. Uh, I'm driving in the car. We had a guest here last week. His name was Liberty. Uh, he's uh, a missionary, uh, an African gentleman who's a partner with us uh, in Uganda. And so he and I were going to go have some Italian food at Carabas. We're driving along, uh, turning off of State Road 60 onto Lakewood to head to Carabas here in Brandon. And I was so engulfed and raptured by what he was saying, I completely forgot how to drive. And so I did what you've done and what's been done to you if you're, uh, you know, are a, a, an operator of a vehicle. I pulled right into someone's lane. They were in my blind spot. Didn't mean to do it, right? But totally did it. And so here I am talking about offense and here I am, the offender. How's it going? And so I pull out, and I, I did what I, everybody does in that situation. When you realize that you've cut somebody off, don't you feel bad? Like immediately, you're like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. And so without causing further traffic disruption, I just kept my eyes on the road, but I, I did the rear view hand waves. Anybody done this? Dude, I know. I'm a jerk. I'm sorry. I did that totally. Please don't pull your gun out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it was great. The, guy, the couple behind me that I literally cut off didn't even honk their horn. You know, kind of just a little quick wave. Yeah, I know, you didn't mean to do that. It was the guy behind them that I had the problem with. Red sports car, he comes flying around this car that I cut off, and he pulls up next to me, rolls his window down, and <laughs> I call him Johnny Doublebirds. He, he just, he, he just, he stuck both arms out the window with both fingers raised, and he verbally explained to me what those fingers meant. You know what I'm talking about? 
I have never been cussed like this in a traffic situation in my life. And it, so, you know, the initial things are like, yeah, yeah, buddy, I know, I did that. I'm like, yes, you're right. I, I don't know about those words, but I absolutely am, you know, uh, you know, at fault here. But he just kept going. Has anybody been in this situation? He just kept going. I'm like, if we stop at a stoplight right now, he's getting out of the car. And he's going to, and, and so, so everybody picture it, me, Liberty from Uganda, Johnny Doublebirds, right? And Liberty's like, oh. <laughs> he is very disappointed. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <clears throat> so we drive a little bit further, and I get to the turn where we're going to go to, you know, the restaurant. And, and uh, I'm already starting to pray in my spirit. God, I just pray this, you know, diffuses, and we can all go on with life. But, of course, I pull up to the light. Car I cut us behind me. Red cars behind them. They're all turning into the same place. And now I'm, now I'm really sure this is going to escalate. And I turned to Liberty, and I was like, hey, man, I don't know how this goes down in your country. <laughs> but I might need a little backup. You know, I don't When was the last time you were in a scrap, right? And, uh, and he turned to me, and he says, you know what? We should talk to Jesus. And I said, we should, absolutely should. And so um, we started praying and just asking God, diffuse the situation, you know. So, so the light turns, we turn. And I turn into that first little left hand that would take me to the Carabas there, and they keep going. And we're like, you know, ah, right? The, you know, uh, <laughs> praise God from whom all blessings flow. We're like, we're, we're, you know, we're like, it worked. God's so good. There they go. They're going to Applebee's. God bless Applebee's. We're going over here. And uh, it didn't work out that way. We, we parked on this side of Carabas. They went all the way around the restaurant and parked on the other side. And we got out of our vehicles at exactly the same time so that we could meet at the front of the restaurant we were both going to eat at. And it's the, the, the older couple that I cut off that were nice, and Johnny Doublebirds is right behind them. And I'm like, man, this is it. I'm like going to be on the news, you know? Uh, and so I, I, I did what I hope everybody in here would do. I, I continued what I had started in the car with my hand wave, and I, I just said to the gentleman that I literally cut off, I'm like, sir, I am so sorry. I know, you know, it was less than a few minutes ago that, that I completely blew it as I was driving. Um, this is my missionary friend from Uganda. <laughs> and he was telling me a story, and I just got lost in it, and I totally cut you off, and it was my fault. And he looks at me, and he's already waving his hand as I'm saying those things. He says, no, listen, I want to apologize to you for my son. Uh, my wife and I and he and his, I think it was his girlfriend, were driving here after church to enjoy dinner together, and he got a little carried away. And then he picked up right after that, and he's like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. I, just, I thought you were you know, just really going to hurt my parents, and I got a little off the, and I was like, a little. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> but it's kind of, you know, we're all talking over each other now with our sorries and our confessions and our you know, I hope everybody's okay and it's all right and, you know, God bless you, ha, ha, ha. And, uh, and it was fine. But that happens not exactly that, thankfully. Hopefully you're not driving with your missionary friend from Uganda this week and uh, have the same thing. But um, that occurs on the regular with everybody in here. Mistakes happen. Uh, sometimes uh, they're intended, not mistakes. But offense occurs. 
And the way God has designed it to be resolved is through what we experienced, uh, those couples and myself in Liberty. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Yes. Let's have some pasta, right? That's how it's supposed to work. But so often it doesn't. That's why we're doing this series. People come to these offenses and they're not sorry. They don't seek to reconcile. They, they don't pray that God would infuse them with his strength to forbear. They just go dark. Uh, all Johnny Doublebirds, right? And it's anger and vitriol and separation and division and death. That's what God seeks to keep from happening. It's, his hope is that we'll be different than the rest of the world. So when it comes to offenses, this is what we're talking about today, we need to do what God does, which is forbear and forgive. You know, I was reading the Bible this week, and I was thinking, God has a lot of commands, but none of the, his commands are outside of his character. Everybody gets that he's just telling us to be like him when he tells us to do something, right? Like when he says forbear and forgive, he's not saying you need to do that, but I don't have to. He's saying that because that's who he is. I learned that afresh when I was studying this passage in Exodus 34. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to read just three verses in this particular piece of Scripture. But it's, it's basically a, a sermon that God gives about himself. It's written down for us right here. Uh, he's hanging out with his buddy Moses. They're up on Mount Sinai. And he, he basically says, um, uh, the Lord, the Lord, I am these things. And I'm going to get to that in a second, and we'll read it together. Uh, but I want to give some context before I get to this sermon that God preaches on himself. Uh, here in Exodus 34, it's, it's however many days after what happened in Exodus 32, which is um, uh, the, the time where Moses and, and God were on the mountain and he was starting to craft for him the Ten Commandments, writing them down on some stone tablets so he could bring them down and give the foundations of the laws of Israel. Uh, they can know how they could live like God and be like God. These are the rules. Um, it, while they're up there, God and Moses, the, the children of Israel get bored. And uh, idle hands, there's like a saying, like, like if you're bored, usually bad things are about to happen. And that is certainly the case with the children of Israel. They, they, they took all the golden earrings that had been symbols of their slavery out of their ears, and they melted them and some of the jewels uh, that had been given them by Egypt as they were emancipated from slavery there by God. And they melted all of them down, and they fashioned for themselves this golden calf. And Aaron, who was Moses' executive pastor, right, um, Aaron leads the charge as Israel completely departs from the worship of Yahweh and starts saying, literally, this cow got us out of Egypt. And they started worshiping this graven image, which is an offense to commandment number two and commandment number one. You have no other gods before me. And they, uh, it got kind of crazy. It says that they played there at the end of, uh, of that account. Um, debauchery. Uh, physical interactions that would not be honoring to God. Is everybody with me? All of these things are occurring in the worship of this calf. And so now God, uh, whose anger and, and fury has, has burned in the, in the verses that follow, and he and Moses uh, you know, have a conversation where God con continues to withhold his wrath on this nation that he had just freed from Egypt, uh, and, and he says, let's try this again. And so Moses goes back up the hill after breaking the first set of commandments, right? And he says, all right, redo. And God's going to give him a second set of the commandments. And before he does, that's what we're about to read. 
It's in the context of one of the greatest offenses that have ever been perpetrated on the earth. A people who had been miraculously freed from slavery, walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, had watched over and over again the plagues of God being played out in their story, who had built monuments uh, thanking God for his delivery, had in a moment's notice turned their hearts against him and worshiped something else. It's in the midst of that offense that God says what he says. Everybody with me? Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his own name. He says, let me, let me preach a little message on me. Yahweh, the Lord, passed before Moses, and this is what he preached. Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He uses five words, Hebrew words, to describe himself to Moses before he gets to what we're going to talk about today, his forgiveness. I need to go through them fast, so stick with me. The first thing he says is that I'm a God who cares. I'm merciful. The Hebrew word for merciful is rachum. Everybody say rachum. You've got to get the little spit in there. It's fun. But it's the Hebrew word for compassion. God cares. And, and here's something we need to understand right now. Um, God does what God does because God is who God is. He, he is um, a forgiving God because his nature dictates that he forgives. Why? Because he's merciful. He's a compassionate God. Now, you and I were created in his image. You know, it says that in Genesis, right? You and I were created in God's image. And even though sin has marred that and kind of taken us away from him, there's still God in us. His image is a part of us. It is us. And so when we are compassionate in life, we're not like generating that from some part of us. We're just unleashing what is already us, the image of God, into the world, and compassion is the result. Are you with me? Like, I don't know if you have like a, 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 you know, a, a sense of a care for the people, I hope you do, and the people in your life, or, or if you've ever been surprised by the compassion that comes out of you. I remember being a 12-year-old. My, uh, I wasn't allowed to go to movies, and, and, and my mother said, you know what, you can go to E.T., just don't tell anybody. And so I went to E.T. 40 years ago. It's 40 years ago that E.T. came out. And I sat in the front row of this, this movie theater, because I didn't go to movies. I didn't know you are supposed to sit back further. But anyway, uh, I'm in the, <laughs> in the front row. And I'm watching E.T. and all these feelings, I'm a 12-year-old, and I'm like, why am I crying? It's an alien. It's a puppet. Why am I crying over this puppet? It's because inside of me are these emotions that can be stirred. And I care for an inanimate, you know, this made-up creature on a screen. If you've ever cried in a movie theater, that doesn't make any sense at all. Except that God is in you, and God cares. God doesn't just care. God gives. It says... Uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious. This is the Hebrew word shanun. It means uh, what we have in our Greek, which is charis. It means undeserved favor. God gives us what we don't deserve. Anybody grateful for that? Some people come to me sometimes and say, I just wish God would give me what I deserve. What I deserve in this situation is this person to do what I want him to do. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just say that you want God to give you what you deserve? I'm like, careful, cowboy. You do not want that at all. Because if anybody in here gets what God uh, truly should give them, it is death, separation, judgment, wrath. That's, that's what you and I deserve. And you're like, no, Mark, I'm good. No, you're not. You might be better than some other sinner, but you're not good. And you certainly don't deserve. And yet, we just sang it. God's more than enough, and he's always more. Isn't that great? God gives us way more than we deserve. 
Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us way more than we merit. God waits. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. My buddy Travis, who's doing great, by the way, as he pastors his new church over in Ebor. If you've been here for a while, here's our teaching pastor for a long time. He and Mickey are serving God faithfully over there. Great stuff. But when he was here, he explained this Hebrew word. It's basically an idiom. Uh, it means long of nose. That's the words that we have in English, uh, slow to anger. The Hebrews understood immediately. When you said long of nose, this is a person who's able to control their temper. They don't just fly off the handle. They're patient. They wait. They, they, they seek solution rather than, you know, bringing absolution and bringing uh, the, the, the wrath that should come to the situation. You've been there. If you've been a parent, you're there all the time, right? You know, withholding what could be an immediate punishment to, to hopefully you know, see things work out. Long of the nose basically means this. It means big nostrils. And, it, and the picture I have of it is, have you ever been mad and you've taken deep breaths through your nose like this? Everybody do it with me. You ready? Like you just hit your thumb with the hammer and you know the words. You want to be Johnny Double Birds and you know the words that are coming out, right? But instead of saying those words, you're like, Anybody been there? That's long of nose. That's slow to anger. Anybody grateful that God counts to 10 with us or 10,000 or 10 million or 10 whatever the biggest number is? We always make it up. Quadrazillion, billion, whatever, okay? God is patient with you and me. He cares. He gives. He waits. He loves the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding. I love that he throws abound. God says of his love, it's a lot. It's abounding. And it's steadfast. Now those words steadfast love are this one Hebrew word, hesed. Everybody say hesed. It's the word that's most commonly used of God's love in the Old Testament. It's kind of like uh, the Greek uh, you know, uh, word for love, agape, which is unconditional love, unwavering, steadfast love, covenantal love. Not tied to feelings, not tied to if you love me back. It's just love, spiked at 11, nonstop. Anybody grateful for that kind of love from our God? Just four of us, but the rest of you join us in that. Yeah, his love abounds. He overflows with love for us. And Zephaniah, the prophet that nobody ever reads, there's this great verse. Chapter 3, verse 17 says that God sings songs over us. Have you ever been so happy that you sang a song that you just made up? I'm off of work and it's vacation. You ever done that? Like the vacation song, right? It, it, in another translation of that, that word or that, uh, that verse in Zephaniah, it says God dances over us. I get that. I, I was watching the lightning game the other night, right? When they, I know, settle down. Okay, but you're feeling what I'm talking about. You're, that little feeling that you're feeling right now, that's like, it's just from your toes all the way up to your, oh, I remember that goal. You start dancing, right? You're screaming and pumping fists in the living room as you watch it go into the net. You don't, you're so, ah, and that's how God feels about us all the time. And you're like, no, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He says it about himself. I am abounding in has said in steadfast love for you guys. It doesn't change. It doesn't wane. It doesn't have dips. Finally, God stays. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and faithful. It's the Hebrew word chemet. 
I love Hebrew words. You get to spit in all of them. It means firm. No wobble. No risk of falling over. Now, there's some dear ladies in our church who actually write me these emails. Pastor Mark, we love you. Can you please stop doing this? Does anybody see what I'm doing right now? Like when I get really into what I'm preaching, I come right to the edge of the stage and my toes hang over and the people in the front rows are like, he's coming over. He's, this is it. This is the end. This is how it's going to end for him. He's going to get all fired up and he's going to fall off his own stage like a big dummy. And I appreciate those emails. And I get it. Last week I was standing up here with those uh, virtual reality goggles on. So remember what I did? I backed up because here I feel comfortable with something, something over my eyes. So I'm going to stay back here. And this is chemet. This is who God is. There's no wobble. There's no risk that things are going to fall with God. He's faithful, secure. That's why when Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, he finishes with this. Hey, guys, anybody who builds their life on the things that I said is building their house on the rock. And when life comes and winds blow and, and storms arrive, the house stands firm. Why? Because I'm chemet, he could have said. I'm faithful. I'm a sure thing. No wobble. But he says, if you build your life on all the other stuff that's out there, not my wisdom, not my truth, then you're building your house on the sand. And when the storms come, the house is going splat, the old kid's song says, right? It's not going to work. Why? Because that stuff is not faithful, not chemet. I am. Five attributes. God cares, God gives, God waits, God loves, God stays. Who's grateful for all five? Anybody grateful if that's who our God is? But remember, it's because of who God is that God does what God does. When he deals with us, he lets his character determine his choices. And that's why God forgives. The next thing in the list is this, because I am merciful and gracious because I am slow to anger, because I am a lover, abounding in love, because I am uh, faithful and unbending. When it comes to our offenses, I forgive. It says there in verse 7, he keeps steadfast love for thousands. He's quoting Exodus 20, verse 6, where we actually get the final copy of the Ten Commandments. He has just got done saying, hey, man, uh, I love a thousand generations. It's hyperbole. He's, he's reiterating it here. He says, you guys, my love is so abounding. It's like, it's a love for all y'all. It's love for thousands. Love for millions. Love for billions. And because I love and because I'm those other things, I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. He doesn't stop at just one word for our offenses. He describes three different kinds. The first word in Hebrew is a word that basically means premeditated sin. Like you sat down, thought about it, and then did it. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? You know, like uh, uh, that computer where you watch your porn, fellas, you know it needs to go. You know you should block the sites, but you intentionally leave it open so that you can access that stuff. That's iniquity, premeditated sin. Transgressions, that's crossing the line, but transgressions here in the Hebrew is this word that's also translated rebellious sin. I'm crossing the line and I don't care because all that matters to me is, is, to me is me and my happiness. I hear this about people all the time. They justify their choices because their, their God is their happiness. I want to be happy. 
And so even if it goes against what God says, that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do it anyway because my God is me and my happiness. And God says, I forgive that sin. I forgive that attitude which excludes me and removes me from the equation. He says, I just forgive pedestrian sins, iniquities, transgressions, and sins. Pedestrian sins are the sins that I'll just call missing the mark. In Greek, it's the Greek word hamartia. It just means missing the mark. We drew the target and we hit over here. And so it may not seem like an egregious sin, but it's still not the best. It's not perfection. It's not what God requires. And so what God says here is I forgive everything from the premeditated to the rebellious to even the boo-boos. I forgive them all. Why? I forgive them because it's who I am as a merciful and gracious, patient, loving, and faithful God. I want to kind of shift now into what I said I was going to talk about, which is that whole idea of forbearance and forgiveness. And I want us to understand that they're not the same thing, but they're certainly in the same lane in this life that we live. Paul talks about both as he kind of um, says in different words what God was saying about himself as he uh, speaks to his friends in a place called Colossae. In Colossae, or Colossians chapter 3, it says, put on then as God cho- God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. See if you can see the parallels between Exodus and this passage. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Long of the nose, right? He says you should, and he kind of sums all that up saying you should bear with one another. All that humility and kindness and patience and stuff, that's all relational talk for us bearing with one another, right? Forbearance. And if one has a complaint against the other, if there's been a super offense that needs solving, then we should seek to forgive each other. Why? Because the Lord's forgiven us. And so also we must forgive each other. In, in these you know, two verses, Paul says, hey man, life's all about when offense comes, and it will, we forbear as we await the opportunity to forgive. Forgiveness versus forbearance. These are two words that often get interchanged, and they shouldn't be because we need to understand the distinction between the two. You ever done that? Thought one word meant this, but it was really another word? Like, like I get residual and reciprocal mixed up. They don't mean the same thing. But in my head, I just interpose them. Uh, interpose? I think I just made up a word there. Anyway, uh, but I just, I switch them around. And, and people are like, do you mean reciprocal when you say, re- oh yeah, I do. Sometimes you say forgiving and what you really mean is forbearing. And I'll explain that in a second. But let's, let's walk through the difference between forgiveness and forbearance. Forgiveness is distinct from forbearance because forgiveness, in order for it to occur, re- requires both parties to participate like I did in front of Carabas. There needs to be the offender's confession and repentance and the offended's forgiveness and restoration. That's when true forgiveness happens. That's why in the gospel, Jesus says, uh, uh, and it's kind of picked up by John in his letter, his first letter, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reason we don't believe in like, uh, you know, universalism that everybody gets to go to heaven is because God says that's not how it works. If you want to be reunited with me and reconciled to me, and if I'm talking to you this morning because you think just by going to church you're saved, you're not. I'm glad you're here, but you're here so you can hear this message. If you want to be reconciled to God in a relationship with him, you need to be forgiven by him by your confession of your sins, your repentance of your sins, and your acceptance of what Jesus did for you on his cross. That's how forgiveness is, is brokered. 
And so people say, yeah, but I've, I've forgiven so-and-so. And I say, has he come to you and asked for, uh, rep- uh, asked for forgiveness? Has he come and confessed and repented? And they're like, no. And I said, okay. So you haven't had the opportunity for forgiveness, but what you're really experiencing is called forbearance. You're patiently waiting for the time where you get to have that conversation, that transaction where confession and forgiveness can be given. So true forgiveness takes place when both uh, parties participate. So let me further clarify forgiveness uh, by saying what it's not. Can I do that? A lot of times that might help. Forgiveness is not these things. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Okay, some of you are like, yeah, it is, Mark. Forgive and forget. It's like the big saying. It's on coffee cups. Okay, I'm certainly all for us not holding what's, uh, you know, been done to us against those. And if you mean when you say forgetting that, that you're not, uh, you know, keeping tabs. It says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of wrong. If that's what you mean by I'm forgetting this, I'm cool with that. But don't tell me that you don't remember the hurts that have been registered in your life. They're there. Right? It's just what you're saying is, uh, I choose with God to not condemn the one who has hurt me. Isn't that great that it tells us in Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you ever read that verse, you should just leap out of your chair like it was that goal at three seconds in the lightning game. What an amazing statement. It should just make you go, wow, because I've done so many things to dishonor God. But when I've confessed them, he's forgiven them, and he's cleansed me from all unrighteousness. It doesn't mean that they didn't happen, that God doesn't remember them. It just means that he's not holding them against me anymore. Praise be to a gracious heavenly father. Are you with me? So that's what that means. It's not that we forget. It's just that we choose not to hold it over the person's head anymore. There's no condemnation when there's forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an elimination of all the consequences. We've all experienced this, right? Like the the relationship's restored, but you still got to pay the piper. Like when I was a high school student, a girl named Shelly broke up with me. I punched the door in in the house that we rented and left a big dent. I thought I was so cool, right? And then a few years later, I started dating Eleanor, and we broke up three times before we got married. And so during one of those breakups, I punched the door, the same, same door, and I left another dent, again, thinking I was all cool, right? So there's a hole in the door for Ellie and a hole in the door for Shelly, right? <clears throat> and it came time for us to move out of that house. And my recollection is, is that mom's like, you know what? I forgive you for punching that door, but you're paying to replace it. Because that's what happens. Infractions bear consequences. A lot of times, by God's grace, he doesn't make us experience all the consequences, but that doesn't mean that forgiveness shouldn't come with boundaries, costs to the person uh, who has been the offender. Forgiveness, secondly, or thirdly, I guess, is not a feeling. Can I just help you with this one? Because some of you are like, yeah, but I just don't feel like I'm ready to forgive. (laughs) If you're going by feelings, you'll never be ready to forgive. Everybody got that? So much of what God has commanded us to do has absolutely zero to do with how we feel. Like love? Love's not a feeling. It it, it manifests itself in some feelings, but it's not a feeling. It's a choice. You choose to love. Even when someone's not lovely. Even when someone's not lovable. You, You choose to love that person. That's what makes marriages stay together. Everybody gets that, right? You don't fall out of love. You may feel less feelings in the relationship, but by God's grace, we can stay in in a relationship because it's a commitment to love. 
It's a choice, not a feeling. And by God's grace, as we stick to the covenant, often, almost always in my experience, often, at least, he brings those feelings back that have been absent for a time. If you'll just stay in the covenant, in the choice. It's the same thing with forgiveness. If you're waiting to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready now. I feel like I can forgive. Stop that. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not motivated by self-interest. I've preached this before. Let me um, issue this uh, apology, I guess. Uh, And let me say this as I start. Certainly there are benefits to you if you forgive. It's what I talked about last week. If you're bitter with someone, it's affecting your life. It's affecting the relationships in your life. There's certainly benefits for you if you forgive, but your chief <laughs> motivation in forgiving is obedience to a holy God. It's, it's, it's aligning yourself with his character and his nature. You're seeking to do things that honor him, and secondly, that free the other person. Don't forgive the other person for how it's going to make you feel. Or how it's, certainly, that's a great benefit, but the point is, honor God, love people. Forgiveness, finally, is not the automatic restoration of trust. Like, there's going to be, in any situation, some rebuilding that needs to occur. I'm not saying that it can never occur uh, in any case. Uh, God has forgiven, uh, you know, just amazingly horrible sins and, and has entered into relationship with those people who have done them. But, but I want to talk to everybody in here who's like, man, I just... I feel like if I go back into this, he's just going to do it again. I'm just enabling. And, and I, I, I certainly don't think that the scriptures teach us to be enablers. Sometimes forgiveness, the consequence uh, that comes with our forgiveness is that um, we, we kind of pull out of that relationship or we have a relationship in different ways with that person so that we don't continue to be the enabler that we've been in whatever that situation is. Are you with me? And trust needs to be Brought back, but there should always be, please hear this, there should always be that readiness, that willingness to forgive and to go as far as God would allow in the restoration of that relationship. True forgiveness takes place when both parties uh, participate. You can't forgive someone who hasn't sought to be forgiven. But you can forbear them, and we do it all the time. Can I talk about that? A lot of times what we call forgiveness is really forbearance. We haven't had the opportunity to sit down and really, you know, sort things out and and see true forgiveness take place. But while we're waiting for that to happen, the Bible commands us. And what God does, thankfully, with us is he forbears until we finally, you know, figure things out and head back towards him. Forbearance uh, is this term that comes from the legal world. It's, It's the action of refraining from exercising a legal right, like especially in terms of enforcing a payment of debt or or, you know, some punishment of law. If you forbear in those situations, you're not saying that what the person did is okay. You're just saying we're just going to hold off for a while and, and just see what happens, hoping for a better result. I'm going to love, like it says, we talked about a couple weeks ago, love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't erase them, but it kind of puts us in a posture where forgiveness can occur. And in those moments that we're waiting for forgiveness to happen, we forbear. Here, here's what might help you. Prodigal son, who's heard the story? 
Luke 15. That's one of our most famous ones. But if you haven't heard it, basically this kid comes to his dad as a young adult, and he says, Dad, I want my half of your inheritance. And the Jewish culture, what he was basically saying was, Dad, is I, I wish you were dead. I, I wish you no longer existed, and if you were dead, I'd have this money. And so what I'd like you to do for me is give me this money. Now this, as it's being you know, told by Jesus, is this preposterous idea to his listeners. Like, they haven't heard the rest of the story yet, but they're like, oh, what did this dad do with this kid? Because in the culture, in the Roman culture, if your son offended you, you could go to the magistrate and end your son. Like, that was within the patriarchal reign of, of the, of, and rule of the day. You could literally say, I have a legal problem with Junior, and Junior stopped to ex existing. Is everybody with me? Some of your parents are like, really? Wow. Let's go back. Anyway, uh, no, that's horrible. Don't do that. But certainly in the Jewish culture, where the patriarch was the power broker, he was the, the, the most honored in the family. If, if a son came to him and said, I want my money now, I wish you were dead, there would be no, no problem in the Jewish culture with that, day, that dad saying, you're not my son anymore. Dead to me. But that's not what happens. If you know the story, the father goes against conventional standards and he does what the son asks. And that's what God, listen, everybody understands that God the father, our, our God, does not have to let us have free will. Go and choose. Take what he's given us and use it on ourselves. Everybody gets that God has the authority to end that right now if he wanted to, right? But in his love for us, he says, yeah, go ahead. Here's everything that I could give you. Go and use it however you want. And most of the world is. And what God the father, if you haven't picked it up, the prodigal father is God in the story. What God the father does is he waits. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He loves us with abounding unbreakable love, and he, he's faithful, and he waits. And so the kid, you know the story, the kid goes off, he goes crazy, spends all his money, and, and the father stays on the porch. He's sitting in the, in the you know, Cracker Barrel rocker he bought, you know, and uh, he's just hanging out, waiting. And the son comes to his senses uh, as he's sitting at a pig trough eating pea pods, and he's like, my dad's servants are doing better than me. This is crazy. And without saying it in definitive terms, he's, he's coming to a point of, of self-evaluation that leads to confession and repentance. He's, he, repentance is basically going this way and turning back towards the father. The prodigal son is the story of a journey where a kid goes that way and then finally comes to his senses and returns to the father. It is repentance pictured and personified. So the kid comes home. He's practicing his speech the whole way. Dad, I know I blew it. I blew all your money. I don't deserve anything. Just let me be one of your servants. He's practicing the whole way. And he finally crests the hill. And his dad's in the rocker. And as the kid's coming down the drive, his dad figures out it's him. And so what he does is he sits there and he pulls out the notebook of all the gripes that he's had since this kid left and he starts rehearsing all the ways that he's going to make his kid pay him back for all the ways that he ruined his life and took all his money and he's going to make him sleep in the barn. You thought the pig trough was bad. You wait till you, you know, and he's going to do, is that, is that what the story says? Is that what the story does? No, there's no, there, there's no notebook. This father has been sitting on the porch eager to forgive, ready to forgive, willing to forgive. And when he sees his kid, he busts it down the road. 
And the kid's taken aback. He's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be on the porch in the rocker. I had this whole thing set up in my head. And so he just launches into his speech. Dad, I blew it. I'm sorry. And his dad's not even hearing it. He's hugging and kissing and taking his robe and wrapping it around his son's back. And he's taking his ring and putting it on his finger. And his son's saying, Dad, I got the whole thing practiced. Let me just at least do it. He's like, don't bother. I forgive you. And he yells out to the kitchen, stakes! And someone kicks on cool in the gang, celebration. And the party is off. And meanwhile, the prodigal son, the other prodigal son, there's two of them. This kid's brother is in the back 40. He's been working since the kid left faithfully for his dad. He's gotten done another hard day's work. He comes back and he hears the din of this party. He goes to a servant. He says, like, what's going on? It's like your brother came home. He has a very different reaction than his father. And he goes to his dad. He's like, Dad, what are you doing? This is crazy. Don't you remember what Junior did? He was Johnny Doublebirds to this family. He took the money. He's wasted it. It's not here anymore. He doesn't deserve any of this. And the dad looks at his kid and he's like, Son, wow, you don't get it. You saw me sitting on the rocker. What have I been waiting for since he left? His return. Your brother was lost, but now he's found. He's home. And the only thing I have for him is love and forgiveness. You know, our world is the other prodigal. If someone offends us, we cancel them. We don't even check to find out if it's true. We just saw the tweet and he's out, whoever that is. When someone offends us in our home, we cancel them. Cold shoulder for days. I'm amazed at how some of you can't talk to each other for like days, weeks, months. How's that even go? You share a house but not a life? And, and if you're doing that, you're the other prodigal. When offense comes, you stay offended. You don't try to be like God. You've got your own methods. But what I'm trying to tell you, man is a God is a God of mercy and grace, patience, a God of love and faithfulness. He's in you. You're created in his image. He wants to come out of you as you give mercy and grace, patience, love, and faithfulness to those in your life. But it's a choice you've got to make. Forbearance is choosing to love while we prepare to forgive but both of them are who God is and who he asks us to be. So let me close with this. Everybody in here, look at me. You're all going to offend someone very soon. It's just going to happen. You might not mean to. You may pull onto their lane in traffic. You might totally mean to as a means of getting back at them for the things that they've done. But if you <laughs> are an offender... Even if the pie chart of offense is 99% them and 1% you, it's on you. It says this in Romans 12, wherever it's possible, as far as it's up to you, live at peace with one another. And so you, if you're that 1% person, you go and you seek to be forgiven for the 1%. Can I tell you a quick story about my dad and I? 25 years old, some of you have heard it before, but my dad and I did not have a good relationship. Don't need to go into all that. But as an 18-year-old in high school, I cussed him out, Johnny Doublebirds, right? And I told him exactly what I thought of him and his parenting. 
And I said, if you make me stay with this, we'd moved, it's a long story, but I wanted to move back to where we had moved from. And I said, if you make me stay, I'm going to ruin you as a pastor. It was a promise. Things were not good. He let me go. I had my own prodigal son experience. And so God got a hold of my life. I went to college and uh, got trained to do nothing else except what I'm doing. And I was a pastor on his staff, 25 years old. Middle school uh, pastor, I'm sitting there having my quiet time one morning, and God just takes his two by four and smacks me right across the head with it. You ever had that moment? I was going to preach on forgiveness, and, and, and he's like, you're not even good with your dad. Who's a fellow pastor on your staff? How about taking care of that one before you open your yap on Wednesday, right? <laughs> and so all of a sudden, I'm walking down this hallway to my dad's office, and I walk in, I haven't prepared anything. I haven't been like the prodigal son in the story who's got the whole trip back to prepare. I'm just walking down the hall, but I'm in the room. And I said, Dad, I need five minutes. No computers back then. He just sets his pen down. And I said these were to my dad. Which, by the way, he's been gone for eight years now. But if I was keeping score, which love doesn't do, but if I was keeping score, uh, I would have been the 1% and he would have been the 99. He was the father. He should have known better. I was the kid. But I just sat there and I said, hey, Dad, listen, <clears throat> I know we've had some rough moments in life, Johnny Doublebirds. I've said some things to you. I've done some things um, that have dishonored you as my father. And I confess those as wrong. And I want you to forgive me if you would. And then I said, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I haven't always felt like you were the best dad in the world. And where that's turned into sin in me, I confess that too. But I want you to know, I'm ready. I didn't say it in these words at the time. I didn't understand the difference, but I said, I forgive you of those things. What I was saying was, is I'm ready to forgive you if, if, if we can make this right. Now, my dad and I, did it like three minutes. It wasn't a long conversation. That's how dudes a lot of times roll. And he just said, look at me. He said, well, I'm sorry too. And we didn't detail every infraction. It was just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. I love you. We're good. And so, so I tell that story in, in situations like this, and people are like, so, so was everything better? Not really. Things didn't, like, become super close between us. And, um, but I put him in the ground eight years ago with my mom, and, and as I uh, saw him be lowered into the, the earth, I had no regrets because we'd walk through what we needed to walk through. Are you with me? And so my hope for you guys is that as you're forbearing, you do it well. Why? Because God forbears with you and I all the time. Do it well. But here's my other hope for you, is that if there is offense between you and someone you love, someone you know, and it hasn't been dealt with, that you would take the opportunity this week to once and for all say you're sorry and be forgiven. And even if things don't change and get monumentally better. A lot of times they do, sometimes they don't. But regardless, I pray that you'll be obedient, that you'll be like the one true God as you forbear and forgive. Will you stand with me as I pray? God, thanks for a chance to be reminded of your truth in, uh, in this all-important, all-encompassing. Everybody in here is going to offend and be offended. God, would you grant us your character of mercy, grace, patience, and love, faithfulness. 
And may it result in forbearance and forgiveness, God, for those in our life. Help us to be agents of peace in this world. Help us to be different from the rest who jump off at every instant into anger and bitterness and division. Unite us, God, by your love. Unite us as we seek to um, emulate and become like you in life. Bringing forbearance and forgiveness like you've given us forbearance and forgiveness. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go hit some food trucks together. God bless you. Forbear and forgive. <laughs>